0: Wrestling with Theology is a weekly Bible study that seeks to equip you to wrestle with the theologies that surround us in our everyday life. Through these studies, your faith in Christ will be strengthened through the scriptures and the Lutheran confessions. Join Pastor Minton for these next few minutes as he helps you get ready to wrestle with theology. right it's time for another episode of wrestling with theology i am pastor doug Minton here to guide you and this is what will actually be our last common ground episode as i've done some prayerful consideration and looking at the different portions of the wrestling with theology i've seen that common ground comes in at a close third in what's actually listened to by those who download it, with the Apostolic Fathers falling behind it. So I'm revamping the podcast starting in July to have First Sunday be Confessional Corner, the Third Sunday be Digging Deeper, keeping the focus of the theology side of it on the scriptures and the Lutheran confessions. But then the Second and Fourth Wednesdays I am going into The -the behind-the-scenes look at what it was like to book a territory by having a fantasy wrestling promotion of my own called Pro Wrestling America. I'll spend the month of July, those two episodes, discussing just kind of the background of what led into this. and I'll spend the two episodes in July giving a build-up with the first actual card being talked about in August. If you have any questions, or if you're wanting to hear more of Common Ground, please give me an email at wrestlingwiththeology at gmail.com and let me know. I will continue the Apostolic Fathers on a sporadic basis, but right now the episodes that we have are getting close to where I have written, so it'll become more sporadic in in the very near future anyway. So those will be... The Apostolic Fathers should still be going on, but on a much less regular basis. So today, as we go into common ground, we're going to look at the first two of the seven sacraments in the Roman Catholic Catechism, that is, Baptism and Confirmation. But first, we have to go into what exactly the sacraments are. As we begin to discuss the sacraments, we come to our first point of contention with the Roman Catholic Church. What is the purpose for the sacraments, and how many sacraments are there? First, the sacraments have a very important purpose, especially in the initiation of the Christian into the Church. They give birth and increase healing and mission to the Christian's life of faith, in paragraph 1210. However, the Catechism begins this section with very ominous and anti-Christian words. Christ instituted the sacraments of the new law, also paragraph 12.10. Jesus didn't come in the flesh to abolish the old law and establish a new law. He came into the flesh to fulfill the entire law of God, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Jesus came into the flesh to redeem us who cannot keep the law. Therefore, Jesus instituted the sacraments so that we might be brought into his covenant and receive the forgiveness of our sins. Second, how many sacraments are there the roman catholic church number seven the lutheran church numbers two or three the question revolves around the definition of a sacrament the catechism defines a sacrament by saying the term sacramentum emphasizes the visible sign of the hidden reality of salvation which was indicated by the term mysterium in paragraph 774 by this definition Anything instituted by Christ that is related to any doctrine related to salvation can be called a sacrament. Therefore, the Roman Catholic Church counts marriage and holy orders as sacraments. The Lutheran Church follows the ancient definition of a sacrament, which dates back to St. Augustine. A sacrament is an act ordained by God to which He has attached the promise of the forgiveness of sins and for which He has prescribed a visible element. As Francis Pieper quotes in his Christian Dogmatics. Through this definition, it restricts the list of sacraments to baptism and the Lord's Supper. However, the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins in absolution should also be counted. The issue that some have with that is counting the pastor as the visible element. As the catechism goes into the sacraments, it begins with the sacraments of Christian initiation, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and repentance. These are foundational for the Christian life. Baptism brings the person into God's covenant people. It serves as the entrance to the church. Therefore, the baptismal font is placed in the doorway leading into the sanctuary or in the front of the sanctuary at the bottom of the steps to the chancel. So Now we look at the in-brief in this section, which covers roughly paragraphs 1210 to 1274. So we begin in paragraph 1275, reading through 1284. Christian initiation is accomplished by three sacraments together. Baptism, which is the beginning of new life, Confirmation, which is its strengthening, and the Eucharist, which nourishes the disciple with Christ's body and blood for this transformation in Christ. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Matthew 2819 20 Baptism is birth into the new life of Christ. In accordance with the Lord's will, it is necessary for salvation, as is the Church herself, which we enter by baptism. The essential rite of baptism consists in immersing the candidate in water or pouring water on his head while pronouncing the invocation of the Most Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fruit of baptism, or baptismal grace, is a rich reality that includes forgiveness of original sin and all personal sins birth into the new life by which man becomes an adoptive son of the Father, a member of Christ, and a temple of the Holy Spirit. By this very fact, the person baptized is incorporated into the church, the body of Christ, and made a sharer in the priesthood of Christ. Baptism imprints on the soul an indelible spiritual sign, the character which consecrates the baptized person for Christian worship. Because of the character, baptism cannot be repeated. Those who die for the faith, those who are catechumens, and all those who, without knowing of the church but acting under the inspiration of grace, seek God sincerely and strive to fulfill His will, can be saved even if they have not been baptized. Since the earliest times, baptism has been administered to children, for it is a grace and a gift of God that does not presuppose any human merit. Children are baptized in the faith of the church. Entry into Christian life gives access to true freedom. With respect to children who have died without baptism, the liturgy of the church invites us to trust in God's mercy and to pray for their salvation. In case of necessity, any person can baptize provided that he have the intention of doing that which the church does and provided that he pours water on the candidate's head while saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So far the catechism. As the catechism goes through the rite of baptism, and the necessity of baptism, we have very little disagreement. The biggest disagreement in the ceremony would be over the necessity of using blessed water for baptism. In the theology, there is the problem of Rome's emphasis on works righteousness in the Christian life. This is spelled out in the Catechism. By baptism, all sins are forgiven, original and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. Yet certain temporal consequences of sin remain in the baptized, since concupiscent, the tender of sin, is left for us to wrestle with, it cannot harm those who do not consent, but manfully resist it by the grace of Jesus Christ. Paragraphs 1263 and 1264, quoting from the Council of Trent. Through this statement, the necessity and burden of penance is brought into the mix, because man must resist the evil desires to sin, or work off the sins by doing good works of contrition, or spending time in purgatory. In baptism, sin is not destroyed; sin is forgiven, but it still exists—not a simple tender or spark that might begin a new fire of sin. The entire fire is still there. Therefore, Paul teaches about the Christian being simul eustes epicoter, simultaneously saint and sinner, in Romans seven verse thirteen through twenty-five. Baptism is not the ending of sin. It is the beginning of life in Christ. It is the death to sin and the resurrection to a new life. A life where we struggle and wrestle with the sin that is within us. A life where the Christian struggles against the devil, the world, and his own sinful flesh as they try to remove him from Christ's covenant. So we move on from baptism into the next part of Christian initiation. That is the Sacrament of Confirmation, which the Catechism covers in paragraphs 1285 through 1321. The end brief starts in paragraph 1315. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet fallen on any of them but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, 14-17 Confirmation perfects baptismal grace. It is the sacrament which gives the Holy Spirit in order to root us more deeply in the divine filiation, incorporate us more firmly into Christ, strengthen our bond with the Church, associate us more closely with remission, and help us bear witness to the Christian faith in words accompanied by deeds. Confirmation, like baptism, imprints a spiritual mark or indelible character on the Christian soul. For this reason, one can receive this sacrament only once in one's life. In the East, this sacrament is administered immediately after baptism and is followed by participation in the Eucharist. This tradition highlights the unity of the three sacraments of Christian initiation. In the Latin Church, this sacrament is administered when the age of reason has been reached and its celebration is ordinarily reserved to the bishop, thus signifying that this sacrament strengthens the ecclesial bond. A candidate for confirmation who has attained the age of reason must profess the faith, be in the state of grace, have the intention of receiving the sacrament, and be prepared to assume the role of disciple and witness to Christ, both within the ecclesial community and in temporal affairs. The essential rite of confirmation is anointing the forehead of the baptized with sacred chrism, in the east other sense organs as well, together with the laying on of the minister's hands in the words, asipe, signag- asipe signaculum doni Spiritus Sancti, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, in the Roman rite, or signaculum doni Spiritus Sancti, the seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit, in the Byzantine rite. When confirmation is celebrated separately from baptism, its connection with baptism is expressed among other ways by the renewal of baptismal promises. The celebration of confirmation during the Eucharist helps underline the unity of the sacraments of Christian initiation. Thus far the catechism. Both Lutherans and Roman Catholics stress the virtues of the rite of confirmation. The Roman Catholics place it as one of the seven sacraments of the Church. However, the connection with the sacraments is very tenuous. Two sections from the in-brief summary of this chapter jump out at confessional length. In paragraph 1317, Confirmation is said to imprint on the Christian a spiritual mark or indelible character. In other words, Confirmation makes one sinless in the eyes of God. Confirmation has strict biblical institution. There is no thus saith the Lord for Confirmation. It was developed by the church for the catechesis of the children in the congregation. The church sought for a way to ensure that the children were truly learning at least the basics of the faith they were baptized into. So they created the rite of confirmation. Confirmation is a wonderful rite, but it is not a vehicle God has promised to use to bring forgiveness of sins. It is a human rite that shows the readiness of the catechumen to enter into a more responsible role in the congregation. In paragraph 1319, Confirmation is seen as needing to be done when a Christian has reached the age of reason and can confess the faith for themselves. Nothing wrong with this, but American Christians seem to have a problem with discipleship both inside and outside the church. For some, discipleship has a wonderful place in the church, but it doesn't really apply much to the temporal affairs of this world. This is the privatization of faith that American society wants in public figures who govern over temporal affairs. But discipleship cannot only occur in the four walls of the sanctuary. Discipleship must be practiced primarily outside the sanctuary. Many people wrongly believe that evangelism happens inside the sanctuary. But how can anyone new hear the gospel message if no one will invite them? Very few people just stumble into the church. They must be brought in by disciples, seeking their salvation through the loving word of the gospel. Discipleship brings forth evangelism. Jesus' disciples cannot help but have their witness made public through their daily life. As we look at Confirmation and His baptism, we see very many similarities, much common ground. There are the tweaks that are buried very deeply in Roman Catholic theology. In baptism, we are proclaimed, forgiven of all of our sins. We are, at that instance, sinless before God because we put on Christ. Confirmation does not do the same thing. Confirmation seals, it confirms the vows that were made by the parents and sponsors at baptism. Confirmation is something we made up as the church, and yes, could be done away with as has been done in many non-denominational and non-liturgical churches that seek to have believers' baptisms and move baptism to the point where we would normally have confirmation in a Roman Catholic or Lutheran church. Have baptism done after the teaching because, well, they also believe that there's not original sin or that children are not accountable for their sins before the age of reason. So we have here the first two sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church, linked together because one is the completion, air quotes there, of the other. But truly, the second is just the person's verbal assent and pronouncement of what happened at the first one. Which is why I have no problem with confirmation. I have no problem with infant baptism. Because a baptism is a gift from God. It is God's work in the person's life. Confirmation is our confirming of that gift, our accepting of that gift as we have been taught it through the Catechism and through the Bible, so that we know at least the basics of the faith, so that we might be able to be good disciples of Christ. Thank you once again for being here with me for this podcast that we can go through some of the common ground. Again, if you have issues or questions, please send me an email, wrestlingwiththeology at gmail.com, and let me know those. But uh, we will continue, starting with next week, going through and digging our heels in to the rich soil that is the scriptures and the Lutheran confessions as we make that the focus of our theology, that it is the core of our theology, and it is what helps equip us to wrestle with the theology around us. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments about what you have heard on Wrestling with Theology, send an email to wrestlingwiththeology at gmail.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, make sure you have subscribed so it will show up automatically on your podcast app. Please also share the podcast so that more may be equipped to wrestle with theology.